Welcome back to the Geek Explained Extra series that we're calling Into the Snyderverse, which for one week only has become a Wonder Woman Stan podcast. Welcome. We're going to get down into all the cello, uh, the electric cello music used here. We're going to be talking exclusively about the music <laughs> and nothing else about this film. Uh, I am your host, Eric Azana, and I'm joined by my two co-hosts on this odyssey through the DCEU. First, from the Artistic Liberties podcast, we have Andrew Kincaid. Hey, hey, folks. And also joining us from the Scripts and Screams podcast, we have Chris Carter. Hey! Ah! Scripts! <laughs> that is my legacy forever. That is what I. That is what I have contributed to the world. Um, how are you guys doing? Good. Super excited to talk about this. Me, Me too, too, man. I think we've been we've we've all kind of had this one. Like, if there's a you know, I'm a football guy, so you look at your schedule and you got a game that you really want to get up for. <laughs> you circle that game. This is the game for me that's been circled. So I think it's. I'm excited. I am excited to talk about this with my dudes. Agreed. I've had this earmarked since we decided to do this series. I'm like, I can't wait until we get through get through the three slogs to get <laughs> to here, and I am really stoked about this. It's been a long journey, and we are now only halfway there. <laughs> so, of course, we have covered so far in this series with the Snyder Cut on its way at an undisclosed time as of this recording. Uh, we have so far gone through Man of Steel, Batman v Superman, and last episode we covered Suicide Squad. This episode we are covering 2017's Wonder Woman, directed by Patty Jenkins, written by Alan Heinberg. I, for one... Personally, and I say this as a diehard Superman and longtime Man of Steel apologist, I would say that so far from the four movies, out of these first four movies, for me, this is the best one so far out of the series. How do you guys feel about that? Out, out of the four that we've seen and talked about, absolutely. This is like just leaps and bounds better. Chris? Yeah, this is like, there's no, the, the three films prior to this aren't even in the same class. This is, but I do feel that this is the closest thing that we have to a Marvel film in the DCEU, but we'll talk about that later. But this is by far and away on so many levels better than the previous three that we've talked about and that reside in the DCEU at this time. Definitely agree. I think this, for, for me, finally getting to watch this movie, and I did the same thing uh, that I did for uh, the first two movies for this, where I watched Suicide Squad first. Gave myself like a half hour and then jumped right into Wonder Woman. And by God, it was a breath of fresh air. I was able to just sit back and enjoy one of these movies for once. And as we will get into, it's not a perfect movie. There are definitely some um, problems in the film. But for me, and I think I can speak for all of us, and that this was probably the most enjoyable viewing experience when it came to this film. I remember watching this film back in 2017. I actually did go to a midnight showing with my partner. Shout out to Sammy. Um, we went and watched it and 
I remember coming out of that theater feeling so jazzed. I was like, that was fucking great. I had a great time with this. And it was the first time in a while that I had been really excited about a DC movie coming out of the film. Uh, we've talked about the last few episodes. Um, the previous viewing experiences in the series, it was just like, I don't know how to feel. Like, I want to like this more than I do like this. This one, I was genuinely like, I enjoyed this film. I had a great time with it, and I couldn't wait to see it again. I'll go to Chris first. How did you feel about seeing this film for the first time? Do you remember your experience with it? I do, I do. I was actually in Tucson, believe it or not. Um, I was living in California, but I was on vacation in Tucson. And I felt bad because I actually did not see it with Jessica. I saw it with uh, my buddy Nate and his girlfriend and wife now. And um, I really enjoyed it. I thought there was so much good about it. But we had seen uh, Gal Gadot's Wonder Woman before. Mm-hmm. And the God Apple BBS. So this isn't our first introduction to her, but to get her own story and to watch that kind of be crafted out because uh, we see kind of the backstory to it. I think that's and again, I am coming to this strictly from a cinematic viewpoint, uh, right? I don't know her backstory as a character in the comics. I don't know yes. her love interest in this film. So for me, it was like, is this a good movie? Plain and simple. And to me, it was it was definitely that and there's a lot of empowering moments i remember thinking sidetrack real quick when we went to go see batman versus superman there was a little girl and she had a pink uh wonder woman t-shirt on and i remember thinking that's fucking awesome and that's what these films do but, but at and, the same time you know oh yeah I'm the like, time she also, must have had watching that movie <laughs> just get to get right <laughs> To they that terrible Batman parent, t-shirts. we know you listen to this, and we don't yeah. apologize for calling you a terrible parent. How dare you? I'll meet you in the DMs. <laughs> yeah. And, and so, <laughs> and, it, and it was great, though. I really, really enjoyed it. It was fun. It was exciting. No, I, I totally get what you're putting down, Eric, and I think I got the same vibes as you did when I saw it. What about you, Absolutely. Andrew? <sighs> <laughs> oh, God. Jesus, it's a long sigh no. already. I mean, we just started. No. We have finally reached the Simon Cowell bit of. <laughs> I mean, out of the three of us, I am definitely the most Simon. <laughs> no, this movie. I'm, I'm, I'm going to claim while while we're just on that subject, I'm going to be Paula Abdul. I'm just going to take that. I'm going to run with it. I I absolutely see it. I've seen you Which dance, makes... and you are just as good a dancer. <laughs> I will absolutely. Which makes Chris our Randy Jackson. So at some point, <laughs> you you have what to say dog? it's going to be a no from me, dog. It's going to be. <laughs> <laughs> doesn't have to be now just at some point when it feels natural just some all right point. all right, no, all right. I, I do want to preface that i do like the second go like seeing this movie again i've only seen this movie twice and watching it again i had a lot more fun with it than i did the very first time when i walked into that movie i kind of said to myself and i kind of said to the universe and i said to this movie in a sort of ethereal old spiritual way i said all right if you don't do this one thing, you're going to be great in my book. If you don't do this one thing, I'm going to be more than happy. And they open the movie up and they do the one thing that I didn't <laughs> want them doing. And from there do? on in, we'll get do? into it. We'll get into it. We'll, we'll okay, get okay, okay. Sure. And like my first time, I, I was such a sourpuss. And I was so just like, I'm so sick and tired of this. this. I can't stand this movie. I really don't like this movie. Seeing it a second time and seeing it with the new light and kind of seeing it and in, in accepting that fact, I enjoyed it way more. 
And I, 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 it took me a long time to see this the, the, for the first time, actually. I didn't see it in theaters. I saw it at home. And the reason why is because a female friend of mine who I really trust, uh, she went to the opening and I asked her, she, I think she went to the opening in, L- in L.A., and I asked her, what did you think of this movie? And she said, female superheroes deserve better than this. And I was like, well, that's that's all I got. That's all I needed. That's all I needed to hear. I trust your I trust your take because she's got great taste in movies. She understands movies really well. And so I trusted her. And so it took me a good while well, to see it. And But again, seeing it for the second time, I enjoyed it immensely more than the first time. So I want to preface this before we get into the nitty gritty of this episode and of this film that um, just a quick, just blanket statement. It is not lost on any of the co-hosts for this episode that we are three cisgendered men talking (laughs) about a female directed and female led superhero movie. Our opinions are our own. We, re- we recognize that we are three men talking about a female property and that our perspectives may not be uh, a completely objective perspective when it comes to both our praises and criticisms of the film. I want to get that out of the way. That's just how it is. We, we know. Feel free to let us know how you feel about this, about three guys talking about Wonder Woman. That's uh, a great point. I would actually really like to hear somebody's opinion on that. Yeah, for sure. I mean, we we are definitely open to hearing lots of different um, lots of different different perspectives. If you hate this movie, I would probably strongly disagree with you, but I would love to have that conversation with you. So feel free to reach out sure. and uh, let us know how you feel about that. But that being said, this film, 2017's Wonder Woman, uh, is a prequel. Chris touched on it before. This tape is a uh, World War One period piece. And as anyone who knows me knows, I am a sucker for period pieces and I am a sucker for war stories. So this was right up my freaking alley. Um, this film chronicles Diana's uh, departure from Paradise Island and into the world of man alongside Steve Trevor and the trappings of World War One. Uh, we touched on it a little bit in Batman v Superman, but I really want to talk about it here. Uh, Gal Gadot is Diana. Gal Gadot is Wonder Woman. I think she gets a much better platform here because of course she's the actual lead but i really like the direction that they took with her here and to think that it almost never happened because between her and another girl another woman um the other woman was almost cast and that woman was elodie young if you don't know that name she played electra in daredevil on netflix she was almost wonder woman it came down to her and Gal Gadot, and I think that is incredible that they had a specific um, had a specific vision for what they wanted Wonder Woman to be. Um, for this specific Wonder Woman, the fact that she is uh, very early on, this is the beginning of her journey, where we see kind of a more uh, world-weary Wonder Woman in Batman v Superman, I really enjoyed it. I love the kind of wide-eyed naivety that she brought to the role. Um, The scene where she tastes ice cream for the first time is a big standout for me. I love that. 
Um, but I also really enjoyed how they took and how they treated, and I know this is going to be a conversation, uh, how they treated her origin. Because in this film, they decide to blend the two uh, most popular origins for the character. Now, for those of you who aren't uh, deeply entrenched up to your neck in comic book lore, um, Diana Prince or Diana of Themyscira uh, generally has either one of two backstories when it comes to her creation. Either she was molded from clay by her mother Hippolyta and given life by the uh, lightning of Zeus, or alternatively, a new... A, a new uh, origin was established in the New 52, where Wonder Woman was actually the daughter of Zeus and Hippolyta. Now, I know that there are specific uh, specific people who have differing uh, views on what this origin is, and this film, I think, uh, I think, in my personal opinion, and we'll talk about it, obviously, um, did a good job kind of blending the two. Andrew, how do you feel about their treatment of the origin when it comes to uh, Diana? Well, I needed to correct you on Please a do. very important detail. Uh, the original creation of Wonder Woman and her origin is that she is not blessed by Zeus. She is blessed by Athena. Got uh, it. In the animated Wonder Woman movie, they touch on this. In the original, very first 1940s comic, they touch about, about this. And this is the point in the story and in the movie where when I first watched it, I went, God damn it, you did this. You goddamn did that. this. The, you are correct in that the point of Zeus having a hand in her creation is what uh, the New 52 brought. It is, mm -hmm. is I'm probably going to be butchering this writer's name. It is a creation and an idea by Brian uh, Azarello. 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 I love Brian Azarello. He's written some of my favorite comics that I've read. I love, I really love his take on Joker and his take on Lex Luthor from 2005. I thought both those comics were really, really great. I did not enjoy the new, his run on the new 52 Wonder Woman for a few, a few reasons. And the, and this is the point where the movie always kind of loses me and always kind of frust frustrates me a bit. Um, the original creator, which I have to double check because it's a man with three names, and I believe <laughs> it is, yes, uh, oof, William Moulton Marston, William Moulton Marston, uh, was such an interesting man and such an interesting part of our history as a country. He uh, is, a, is noted for being the creator of the lie detector, along with it, him and his wife. And he is unnoted by saying that Wonder Woman is a combination of his wife and their lover in this beautiful pansexual relationship that they have. Uh, Wonder Woman was born. And why I make such a big stink about her origin and in that creation that it's not Zeus who brings power to her, brings life to her, it is Athena, is because that it's the message that that brings. And it kind of... The thing about... Um, her being the daughter of Zeus or having any hand in it is that it doesn't add to the story. Like at no point does it drive the narrative forward. It doesn't add to anything. And it honestly takes things away 
from the original creation. We have this really great feminist icon that says, hey, you can be powerful with no male influence. You don't need to have a man and give you power. And when you have Zeus helping the origin, the creation of her, it strips that away and just says she is only special and she only stands out because she is the daughter of Zeus. Everything else, her training and all of that is still there, but it's dampered because she has the spotlight because of this one thing, and it's a man. It's a man that gives her power. It's not this great two women joining together in creation. And, and it's kind of cool that Wonder Woman, way back when in the 1940s, had two moms like that's really kind of astounding and it bothers me that three dudes from 2016 couldn't see this what one dude from the 1940s realized that i'm gonna say this again three dudes couldn't think of the good enough idea of feminist icon that one dude from the 1940s could have and that that bothers me it bothers me so much that this really powerful feminist badassery could have really exuded from this from start to finish and it just doesn't in that oh zeus is her dad and zeus is what gives her power like that and that's the that was the first thing from this movie that made me go all right i'm i'm out like you had one shot you had i had one giant discrepancy and you nailed it within the first two minutes and like that that's my big that's my big problem with it is that we could have gotten such a cool feminist icon out of this movie and instead we, we it, it's just it's just tarnished and that's all it is to me because a man because zeus I, had to put his dick in it zeus had to put his dick in it <laughs> yeah but that's greek mythology that's what he does but that's, that's what's true. great about this is that, that is that she's part from Athena, who is a war god and who is a goddess of wisdom and is a feminine wisdom and is a feminist and is a feminist god in herself. And like that's what's so cool. Well, that's what makes it even better and even a little bit more mythological to me. Now she's just Hercules. Now she's just like every other hero, and it takes away her individuality. I see what you're saying. I think I I disagree that it kind of strips her of being a feminist icon because I think she still absolutely can even despite not having the Athena-based origin. Um, but f from two perspectives of coming from two very different places with the backing of the uh, comics origin, the original origin of the actual character, Chris, how do you feel about it? How did you feel about how it was represented, how it was um, pulled into the film, the influences, yeah. and just as someone who is coming from your perspective on things, how do you sure. feel about it? Well, you know, I, I mentioned it on a, on a previous episode where I, I don't have the knowledge that you guys have coming into it. I'm not saddled with that. So again, I look at it on a topical level. I don't understand those things that Andrew mentioned. I had no idea. So well, yeah, I mean, the point that you make, Andrew, is, is very compelling. I see that they could have done a lot more in the time that, leading up to it, I think. But as a film goer, not knowing that, it doesn't really affect my 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 perception of the film. I feel like it's a, it's a, it's a great film. I think it does a lot for the female superhero genre. I mean, let's look at that. You know, I mean, so I wouldn't have picked Gal Gadot to be the first person. I still think that Scarlet with Black Widow would have done a little bit better. I think, I think she's a better actress than Gal. Um, I get, I get that's debatable. I understand that part of it. But <laughs> she's definitely more trained as an actress. Yeah, that's Absolutely. true too, which I'm going to bring up about her casting. Um, 
But as a film, I just, I truly enjoyed it. I liked the backstory. I loved, and I know we'll talk about it later, the chemistry between her and Chris Pine. That that was fucking great. And I feel like a lot of other people feel that way because they wouldn't have killed him off or they wouldn't have wrapped up that storyline and then tried to bring him back as old Chris Pine and, and what we're going to get is Wonder Woman 1984 whenever the fuck that comes out. Um, but... But, you know, I, I, I liked what they did with her. I think she was a strong character. There was a learning curve that she had, like you mentioned, the first time that she that she goes out. She talks to a Chris Pine about uh, sex. And, you know, it's like, <laughs> I'm, I'm an average-sized man, you know what I mean? And then, um, you know, I, I like that. I like, And I like that, you know, Chris kind of is – he is the woman in their world. I think that they juxtapose, they juxtapose those two positions um, – nicely where normally it's the man taking care of the woman but in this case it's the women taking care of the man in this case and and i just i really enjoyed that aspect of it and there was a lot of freedom to do that in this in this part of it so i i totally get what andrew's saying and had i known that yeah it probably wouldn't have sat well with me but because i didn't know it it's like in the matrix you know ignorance is bliss so (laughs) you took took the blue pill yeah he's right absolutely Absolutely. Well, and for the the film as it is, and we and we will definitely talk about um, Steve Trevor, their chemistry, because I think it works. It really does work so well between the two of them. Yeah. Um, this film does a great job at, I think, balancing a lot of the high concept stuff, because Greek mythology in general is just very high concept. Yeah. Um, the, if, if you look into the stories, they're not, they're very base level, but the concepts behind them, the pantheon of gods, it's, it, you can get lost in the sauce very easily. And I think for a general movie going audience, what they do well here is they kind of bottle it down to the essentials and they give you just enough to know like, okay, this is important. These characters are important. This battle is important. And go ahead. Well, like to me, I feel like it's so mismanaged personally, and that like the Greek mythology that they give right in the first act is really like kind of like appetizer for the story because the real meat of the story comes in the second act and then kind of to me kind of gets derailed in the third part. But that Greek mythology and like the world they set up at Themyscira and like how all the Greek gods are dead except for like just like a few of them or maybe it's just two of them is really kind of like this really great appetizer or to a meal that is being presented to me. And it just made me kind of want more of that world. And it kind of made me want us to stay on Themyscira and see a more about Gal. I, I, I kind of wanted it to be a little bit slower or of a movie on just Themyscira. And I could have done without the World War or one stuff and Steve, Steve Trevor first bit. Mm. I mean, I loved Chris Pine as Tr- Steve Trevor. Or, and I agree with, with what Chris said. And that chemistry is really, really great. And yeah. they do a really great job with it. That being said, the, the stuff that they did with World War One and that whole, whole storyline and when it is just World War One is really interesting in itself. But then when you get an Aries in the mix of it and then you try to blend in your first and second act in this really weird tonal bit in the third third act, it really kind of feels like it's almost like three movies in one. Yeah, definitely agree. I think the um, the common criticism is that it does kind of f- fall apart in the third act. And I would absolutely agree turning the... Um, 
turning what I think could be a really compelling lesson that they could tell at the very end into, oh, we're going to have another CGI fight at night, is it, it drops the ball. It really does. But I think yeah. leading up to it, and especially, you know, across the film, whether it's on Themyscira, whether it has anything to do with World War One, the action is fantastic. The It's con- it's kinetic, it's fun, you get to follow it around. Um, some of the highlights that I have from the action, the beach fight, when we see the Amazons go up against the German soldiers. This fight between uh, tradition versus modernism, where you see the Amazons, you know, with their bow and arrows, and they've got their spears, and they've got the shields and the swords, and German soldiers are just shooting them down with rifles. It is haunting to watch, and it kind of, and this is, a fucking weird comparison, but I get that. Um, it reminded me of The Last Samurai. Where, I was, dude, I was dude, literally thinking that. Yeah, yes, it absolutely fucking does. And it's 100%. just like they're, they're riding through. They've got these honorable warriors led incredibly by Robin Wright as an, an Antiope. 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 <laughs> Ant- yes. Antiope. Um, she's, she is just the most badass general that I think it's it's so fantastic to see Princess Buttercup leading an army. <laughs> it's so good. Robin Wright is a fantastic actress, and she is incredible in this role. Um, it makes me sad that they killed her. But um, the fight there is fantastic. It's really good at showcasing, like, hey, there's other stuff going on in the world, and you guys have no idea what is happening. Um, I also really love the... Uh, the action scene uh, retaking the German village where Diana is essentially just a wrecking ball going through buildings, just like jumping up, smashing through walls. We've got the uh, incredible Wonder Woman theme, like getting played for the first time when she shows up to fight the German soldiers. And it really, all of the action does a really great job in showing off Diana's strength and agility in a way that we didn't really get to see in BVS. A lot of it when... Uh, when she was fighting Doomsday was just like sword, shield, she gets knocked around a little bit, he blasts her with the lasers, she gets up, she jumps back at him again. Here, you see all of the training that went into it. She's doing flips, she's doing cartwheels, she's sliding on her knees, she's throwing shields, she's got everything that you would expect for Wonder Woman to be able to do in a fight. And it makes it makes me kind of look at that and go, man, I really need a Wonder Woman game, like, ASAP. <laughs> like, the closest I ever got was uh, Assassin's Creed Odyssey, because you can, it's dealing with Greek mythology, you can play yeah. as a, uh, a male or female character, I chose the female character, and there is a Wonder Woman armor in that game that they hid, that you have, yeah, it's oh, amazing, awesome. that you have to yeah, find. That's cool. But as soon as I found that, I was like, this is the only thing I'm wearing for the rest of this game, this is incredible. <laughs> it was, it, it's, it's so fun, and it really brings you into something that was, I think, lacking from the last three films, and that is a sense of fun. That is a sense of, like, yeah, let's fucking do this. Um, how did you guys feel about the action? How did you feel about the um, take of Diana and how she is a little bit more, I guess, f- fully or more well-rounded than she was given in BVS? Chris, you go ahead. Um, I, you know, I thought the the set pieces for action were, were fantastic. And um, uh, you mentioned it before. The BVS fight was muddy. It was messy. You couldn't, there was no sense of architecture, right? Like yeah. you, could, you know, it's just like you said, she slides in, she blocks something, we cut away and we come back. It wasn't like that. I mean, in several shots, 
she jumps through the the building and the camera stays with her and we have that moment where she clears the room and we never come off we never come off her it just shows that, that it keeps you in that moment and i think it raises the stakes of that and i think for us to be to see that for the first real time that introduction to her strength and her power for me was was awesome and and there, there's one spot in particular where i'm like there i had the moment and i talked about this during our talk about uh man of steel where yes. the first time oh. we see superman I was hoping the cave, you were going to talk about this okay so when they're when they're in in the trenches and and steve says you know it's no man's land no man can cross that right so she changes and she, she doesn't say it which it's good writing because yes. if she would have said, because then you know we've seen that it's it's her Lord of the Rings moment. I am, I am no, no man, man, right? Exactly. So she goes out there and and she turns the tide and opens up the part of, that you're talking about when they retake that town. So that's how we get to that point. So that entire sequence, the introduction to her sense as a character, because before she actually goes out there, she cares about the horse. Why are they hating those horses? She cares about the people. We have to help these people. And then Steve says, we can't help everybody. And then you see her try to help everybody. And it's just to me, the introduction to the character in that sense, because we've seen her on her island, but we haven't seen her adapt into her world. Or I'm sorry, into into, into uh, Steve Trevor's world. That to me was awesome. There was the moment when she comes up the ladder and then you're like, that's okay. Wonder Woman. Yeah, exactly. That's my hope. That's my holy shit moment. So that's, I'm like, okay, I got you. But yeah, I, I really enjoyed that part. And that, and, and there's a whole bunch of different parts of the character, but that specific to me, I'm like, yeah, this is where we're going to kick some ass. And I, and I, and I'm on board from this moment on for me, at least. Definitely. Andrew. Yeah, I mean, I completely agree with everything that both of you said, like the everything in the second act, I really enjoy everything, um, everything in the first act, I really enjoy. And I think that's really what always impressed me is just how well directed this movie is and how Patty Jenkins yes. really uses her action so well to tell a story like the fact that, you know, it's World War One and it's for this time is advanced in technology and fighting <laughs> styles and to see this feminist power or and this female character who uses a sword and shield and just decimate all that's around her really is quite fascinating and also kind of tells this great message of just like hey rooted in our original power is how femininity will will break through the ego of man and like that's great that is so interesting to see as this sort of shining example ample of what but women can do and i love to death that no man's land scene like if you mm -hmm. go in the behind the scenes the behind the scenes of making this movie it to me was more interesting to watch than actually watching the movie unfortunately yeah. like but that but again it's more on just how the script was written by three dudes but I, i'm just gonna say it again and three dudes um <laughs> And it's amazing how like Patty Jenkins is able to like bring these great images because if you look at the smoke in the in that scene, and she doesn't make it like how actual smoke is supposed to be. It is like almost this purplish blue color. And mm -hmm. there's this great quote from uh, Chris Pine when he asked why is why is it this color? And she said, oh, it's going to make things pop more. And this color of smoke looks just way better on film. And it really that went into the it's it again this. It, it all of these moments that you all said and like all of this is just so great 
Yeah, the no man's land scene, like both of you said, is just it's the standout. It's the one that everyone remembers from this film. And it really is that like coming out moment. It's that debut like Wonder Woman's here. And it's like the just the stunning visuals of like the bullets coming out. She's deflecting them. You know, we get that trademark Zack Snyder slow motion, but used much better here for some reason. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, and I clocked all of like the slow mo moments that would happen on the film, and I'm like, okay, but this would feel really gratuitous if it was Zack Snyder. But for some reason, Patty Jenkins is really selling this, and I think that has to do with Patty Jenkins as a director. She's fantastic. Um, and she, you know, just like kind of Gal Gadot, this was really her, like, launch into mainstream. This was like, okay, Patty Jenkins became a household name off of this film. And I think that's fantastic in what that did. And I think that she had such a great singular vision for the character, for the film, for, you know, what we now know is going to be a franchise with, you know, the sequel coming at some point down the line. And I think her vision for the character and the fact that she works so well with Godot and with everyone on the set, like we've we've heard in you know recent times as of this recording, uh, stories of people being just fucking terrible to each other, like during the filming process, during production. And I have yet to find a single person who has worked with Patty Jenkins who has said a negative thing about her. And I think that just, it really does speak to how good she is, not just as a director, but as a person. So can I interject a little gossip to this? Please, please do. I love gossip. So Patty Jenkins was not, did I, and I don't know if you guys know this, but did you know Patty Jenkins was not the first director tapped for Wonder Woman? Right. Well, because she was so, she was almost uh, the director of Thor: The Dark World. Yes, and 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 so there. So the director, um, who and her name here is, and this is news to me. This whole thing. So I was in. I was reading. There's a, a Michelle McLaurin who had directed uh, episodes of Game of Thrones, mm-hmm. Breaking Bad, Walking Dead. I guess she was the original director and left because there were some issues with exec, allegedly executives at Warner's stating that she had creative differences. She wanted too much control. And I guess there were some issues with saying that she was uh, some of the, the, the male executives did not like the fact that her female personality clashed with their male personality. Warner Brothers doesn't shock yeah. me at all. I know, right? So Pat, and so so Patty, like you guys mentioned, comes in. She she she's brought in, um, and she hadn't directed much at that time. I mean, we're, I'm looking at her, her IMDb, and she did do Monster, which is fucking incredible. Her and, she and did. Charlize That's in that. right. Yeah, that, and and she she wrote Monster too. So she really had kind of. And that's yeah, such a she, smaller scale when it comes to it, like comparatively to like a Wonder Woman film. Yeah, right. It's just the the and they even call it a budget on here. She had done two episodes of Entourage, one episode of Arrested Development, Monster, two shorts, um, and one or two more episodes of The Killing. Wow. Then she got tapped as Wonder Woman's director, and of course, we'll talk more about Gal Gadot and Patty Jenkins. And it kind of looks like externally, the stars kind of aligned for this. The public was ready for a female-driven superhero film, I think, directed by a female who hadn't, you know, kind of been through the ringer, casting a Diana that maybe wasn't as well-known as uh, some other main actresses. And, and by the way, the actress that you mentioned for Daredevil is fucking incredible. She's Her great. arc in Daredevil was m- the best part 
arguably about that entire series. I loved. I would argue uh, that, but yes, I would. I would completely but, argue that. But, okay. Well, you but, know but, what? But, but no, you she was what? fantastic. She was. <laughs> she was okay. But, but she was okay. But <laughs> she was better but than I, Jennifer Garner. That's not that fair. Is un, that's undebatable. That's that is fact. undebatable. I don't care how fair or not fair it is. That's a fact. <laughs> but is a but fact. isn't it? It's interesting that this is kind of like lightning in a bottle. Um, you know, and I think that's part of it. I think that that would, I just wanted to bring that out there for people that didn't know, like myself, um, who considers himself kind of well known when it comes to this shit, had no idea that a Patty Jenkins had, had left Thor too, which infuriated Natalie Portman, but that she wasn't the primary choice to direct wonder woman. And, and for, you know, it's just one of those happy things that happen in, in not talking about the other director. Cause I'm sure she's fantastic, but man, mm-hmm. This is kind of going to be Patty Jenkins' legacy right here. Well, and it's interesting because, like, what you mentioned that the original director of this had directed uh, some of Game of Thrones, episodes like that. The director that they ended up bringing on for Thor The Dark World, and the name escapes me right now, was known for directing episodes of Game of Thrones. So it's almost like they swapped places. And it's just, it, like you said, it's lightning in a bottle. It's this beautiful symmetry that I think created a perfect storm for this film to come out. Um, though it does have its flaws. It absolutely does. Um, and I think yeah. a big part of that is the villains. The villains are not as... And I think this is where the Marvel comparisons come up because the heroes are the stars and the villains do not, do not measure up. Um, and that's unfortunate because I think on paper these villains could be really interesting. And I'm not going to mention, I mean, I guess we can mention him. Danny Huston is a fantastic actor. He plays Ludendorff, the main like German guy. And for anyone who has, you know, no basic knowledge of film structure, the film does a pretty good job on trying to convince you that he's Ares. Um, but for me, like, the big selling point, the person that I had the most interest in when it came to the villains was Dr. Poison. Because she is such a deep-cut DC villain. And having, like, you know, a big uh, female hero going up against a female villain, I think really would have enhanced the film even more so than it already was. Um, and fortunately, the way that it kind of ends up going and i think andrew touched on it earlier um the main villain becoming aries i think is a big sticking point for me i like the concept i like on paper bringing aries in because aries has been an interesting uh villain in the comics for diana ever since her kind of shake up um he's been used sparingly in the comics and i think that's important because what i really would have liked for per- personally and just for me, I wish, especially with the actor that they chose for him, I can't remember his name. Um, he's a great actor, but he is basically a mustache in this film. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I would have loved if he had stayed a more passive antagonist that was kind of the, hey, I'm going to be around. I feed off conflict like this, and I'll see you again soon. And then we kind of fed into the main crux being Dr. Poison for this film. And we could bring him back, you know, every time if they wanted. And granted, you know, this is before the announcement of uh, Wonder Woman 84, knowing that the sequel would be taking place far in the future. But if they wanted to go the route of, like, World War I, World War II, Vietnam, like, all of these glimpses all these moments where she gets so close to stopping Ares, but he just whisks himself away, I think would have been really interesting. Um, But the fight, as we have talked about before, 
it becomes just this real mess. And I think I was surprised at how much the ball dropped. Because as Andrew said, like the first act is really strong. The second act is the strongest act in the entire film. The third act where it's really building up and you're like, okay, this actually, this is really cool. I really love the way this is building. They're really doing something here. And then they kind of drop the ball at the very end. I personally think that they kind of recover it before the credits roll, but it can't excuse the actual like bulk of that act, which is a CGI fight at night. Um, I really do enjoy all of the stuff with uh, Steve and their band of little rebels trying to destroy the chemical agent. Um, I want to give a quick shout out to them because they're fantastic. Just that whole Motley crew that they have. Steve Trevor is great. Um, They have Samir who is just... He is someone who I looked at and I was like, Lucas would play you if he was in In Hollywood. (laughs) Lucas, shout out to him in Tucson. Um, Lucas was made for that role. Oh, completely. Um, Oh, I never... Wow. Yeah, he's fantastic. He plays a character... um, character's name is Samir. He is just this shyster. They they kind of like draw him out as like this liar who um, just t- is great talking through things. He's very worldly and he makes a great um, he makes a great piece of this whole uh, tapestry that is these characters coming from marginalized uh, groups in this film. And I love that they talked about this because this is important characters. And I want to list these characters and then I'll kind of get into why I like them being involved in this so much. Etta Candy, Chief Nobby, Charlie and Samir. Those four characters really sell to me the greater world and how the society at the time, World War One, everything that's going on with the world in the early 1900s was a very different place than we are here. Uh, Etta Candy is, first of all, just a fantastic character in the comics, and I loved what they did with her in this film. I wish she had gotten more. But she is Steve's uh, secretary. And her and Diana have a dialogue about like, oh, you know, this is what a secretary does. And Diana's like, to me, where I come from, that's slavery. And she goes, yeah, I like her. I like her a lot. Um, I also just loved her energy. Just like when they have that little alleyway fight and she shows up with Diana's sword. And she's like, no, you're not going anywhere. But it did shine kind of a spotlight. And then it was later kind of... Um, elaborated a little bit more on when the when diana and steve go in to meet like the uh, world leaders the union leaders Mm -hmm. that are discussing this and women were not very well respected at that time um that's another thing that i think would have been really great if you had made dr poison the villain because it's this woman being the lead antagonist at a time where these where women were not respected in the way that they should have been. Uh, also, Chief Noppy, he comes from a background, he's a Native American, and he talks about when he goes into the film, like, hey, I'm here to profiteer off of this war because, you know, so many people made profits off of the war that ruined my people, so I feel like it's only fair. And yet, when you see him post the, uh, the retaking of the German village, he is refusing money. And it's like this weird, this weird thing. And I think one of my favorites is Charlie. Charlie is this Scottish uh, sniper who is dealing with PTSD. He is shell-shocked. He is dealing with a lot of stuff mentally. And at that time, in the mid-1910s, 
mental health was not a priority for people. They threw him right back in even though he had these issues. And Samir makes a great line. He says a great line, which is really a message for all of these characters, is that we don't all get to be the people we want to be. And he talks about, you know, how he wanted to be an actor, but he's the wrong color. And how Charlie just really wants to, like, live his life and sing and have and drink. But because people don't care about his PTSD, he is forced into these situations that mess him up. And it's all of these characters kind of coming together to give different facets and different sides of the world, which I think narratively is really good at giving Diana a crash course on how different her her world is from man's world how did you guys feel about the juxtaposition with that if you had any strong feelings about any supporting characters or any of the themes that were present in the movie chris uh you know i i I really the 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 feminist point of view i I shouldn't say the female point of view i think that really kind of it takes uh, all right i'm tripping all over everything here what I want to say is it takes something like a film with a female lead to kind of have you look at things maybe you didn't look at it a certain way. So I'm going to bring I, – uh, I have a journalism degree, and they always said to us – He's got to bring it up every episode. That's got to pay for it. You pay, baby. <laughs> I got to get my 40K back. So, but what, But what they always said was it's good to know – it's good to be, be in a room with people who have different points of views because then you yourself who have been used to a singular point of view will see something different. So it's Absolutely. a diverse newsroom. So for us, and you said it, Eric, when they're actually in the room, the war room, and uh, and and Diana talks to the general and says, you're not going to try and save these people. And, and that's what people do. And where I'm from, generals lead. And it's just the different dynamic of a better time maybe. And you see that. And, and, you know, of course, we can follow the timeline to where we are now and where things kind of fell off. But at that point in time, you have this very rich point of view on life. And I think that naivete that Diana has through the beginning and through most of the film, like when we're talking about the horses being whipped, like when we're, she's trying to save everybody. I think that that's something we can all grasp onto. And I think the themes of that where everything is precious and if you take it back and you place value on things that maybe you don't put such a high value on now is really refreshing. And I and I think that's a big part that, that what was missing from the previous films in the DCE that we talked about. You know, there's there is a value to this story. And because we're seeing it from a point of view from someone who hasn't been jaded um, or, or that hope hasn't been eroded, I think it's refreshing. I think more than anything it's hopeful and so i kind of get that so the theme for me in this the biggest underlying theme is hope and 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 for me that's i definitely want to say that because there are other things in here um but 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 hope just kind of resonates with me even with steve the hope of love the hope of finding happiness the hope of wanting to help people the hope of wanting and, and holding people's lives and property so high and i think that's a big part of it for me so so yeah I think hope is the biggest theme that I would take away from from this film. Very well said. Mm-hmm. Why, thank you. Very well said. <laughs> the journalism degree is paying off. I know. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Only forty k. Thought. Oh. I know, right? I completely agree with Chris. Everything he said. Um, I, you know, I go back to 
saying again how the the first act is pretty okay and very interesting. The second act I love. And you're absolutely right, Eric. It is in this colorful group of ragtam, ragtag individuals who I honestly wish we could have gotten more of. Like, yeah. if yeah. that movie where it is Wonder Woman dealing with World War One, I, I think it would have been Steve Trevor, Steve Trevor and this ragtag group of people well, and Wonder Woman really understanding the world of man and what that looks like and how in... You know, we what's great about this movie is that we have two sort of view viewpoints. We have two two different worlds. We have a world of, of the yang, which is masculine, and it is and it is the the male energy. And then we have the woman of the yin. We have the world of the ying, which is the mascara, and it is all about taking care of one another. It's all about making sure that everyone's okay. It's all about empowering. It's all about pushing forward. It's not about weakening anybody or pushing anybody too far. It's all about making sure that everyone is strong and that everyone is the best that they are and then we cut to the world of man and it is just toiled in war and it's toiled in not understanding the person around you and it is to push and it's to prod and it's to kick when you are down and it's really apparent in that second act and yeah that that third act really kind of soils so much good work that goes in into those first two that I think that if we had had gotten that movie of just the World War II and these characters, it could have been really, really cool. And it could have been really, really great. And I really enjoyed the villains. And I kind of actually rather enjoyed uh, Dr. Poison kind of being the second sidekick, kind of being the sidekick character. Because it kind of shows that, oh, in the world of man, women are second place. And even though they are doing all the work and they are really doing well at their work, Work, they are not treated with the respect that they're given. And that's really apparent in that character. Or you see that she is forced to wear a mask because she is hideous to, to the ones around her, or from probably some accident that we're not that no man is gonna understand because she doesn't look nice. So she has to be kicked when she's down and she has to be put in her place, which is next to a man and who uh, what was that actor's name? The dude from X-Men Origins? Danny Hessen. Danny Hassan, I love him. I think he's he's fantastic. He's he's really great. There's one, a... one of my favorite roles he plays. I think it's in um, uh, it's I th oh, I think it's um, American Horror Story. He plays the sax man, and just seeing him, I was he's this serial killer who also plays the saxophone, and I fucking love it. He's just it's ridiculous. It's really good. He's really good. <laughs> yeah, and he does a great job. And I think you're absolutely right. And that I would have really enjoyed him as as Aries. I mean, it was an, it was a very fun, uh, twist that they did. And it was a really good twist. And it really kind of shows that just like, Oh, war is on both sides, no matter what, whether it's our allies or it's our enemies. I think mm -hmm. the choice of world war one, world war one is a very interesting place in a story point. But yeah. when Wonder Woman was created, it was in world war two. And the lines weren't as gray because World War One is really complicated because it's one of those <laughs> scenarios. It's very complicated in that no one's right and no one's wrong as war as war is in World War Two. It's very apparent. Oh, these are the bad guys and these are the good guys in World War One. It's a lot of people trying to survive. It's a lot of people dealing with the heartache that they have as a country, which is actually, I think. Now that I say it out loud, probably works better for an origin story for Wonder Woman in dealing with the complexity of man's war. And like the second characters are all really good and all really work so well. And like that's the kind of great thing is that this cast is super great. Like yeah. everyone does yeah. really good work. 
except for the dude who plays Ares. Chris, did you ever look up who played Ares? I saw you go to your computer, but we couldn't remember what his name was. I was looking here, and he's he's only been in a couple of things, but I will get his name for you right now. I remember he did a great job in Harry Potter, and like he's a great British actor. He is. He's fantastic. And he, for what he's given, he is able to sell as much as he can. Um, it's still kind of goofy seeing his face on an Ares like body. Um, the, the, the terrible CGI with like young Ares is so bad because it's so clear that he's like, they use this like bodybuilder's body and just stuck his head on it. (laughs) But I love it. I love how it's, you know, in the same way that I love kind of the campy nature of, uh, Captain America, the first Avenger. I like some of the campy stuff that they do with this, with the scene where, um, uh, Ludendorff and uh, Dr. Poison poisoned the other members of the uh, of the German uh, hierarchy and the, they throw the poison in there and Ludendorff throws the mask in there and Dr. Poison's like, but that won't help them. And he's like, they don't know that. And they have like this little like, ah, <laughs> like it's it's cringy, but it's so like it's fun. It's really cute. And it's really, really fun. No, you're absolutely right. Like, and those are just like this movie is chock full of great moments like that. Mm-hmm. Chris, did yeah. you find his the name, name? I did. His name is David Thulis. David Thulis. Teach. Yes. Shout out to David Thulis. Great actor. Just unfortunately not given a really clear part. And like, mm-hmm. yeah, that third act where he where he shows up, I'm just like, man, I can only see your nose and your mustache. Yeah, and like, that so does sad. not work with that helmet. Well, and I just, like I said, I think especially for the actor that they cast, if they had cast a more physical actor to be that, yes, it would have kind of given the lead away when you're trying to do that twist. But I think if they decided to make, if they were going to stick with David Thewlis, he had to be Ares, making him be more of a passive villain kind of the man in the background influencing things because i really liked that aspect of it and they touched on it where he's influencing dr poison when she's creating her chemical warfare i really loved that and the idea that um that they really they get so like fingertips away from telling this lesson of like hey it's not black and white and like you said so well like this is the perfect war for them it's like hey just killing Ares is not gonna stop people from being bad because we're not built that way i loved that scene between steve and diana where he kind of explains that to her and they get so close to the edge of like that being the lesson but then when she they do have that big cgi battle she kills Ares. it you cut to the german soldiers in the area and they're just like oh my god like what was happening and i just that bothered me i was like come on like that's not just going to change your ideology. Like I get it. He was influencing them and, you know, maybe like, you know, influencing them to act on their worst impulses, but those impulses are still there regardless of whether they're being controlled or not. Um, I do like that in a movie landscape that is very cynical a lot. They decide to tell the lesson that love conquers all. I think that the writing isn't particularly great when they're going to tell that lesson. But I do like that concept. I do like that theme of, like you were saying, like the female, um, the, you said it so well, um, the idea of the, um, of feminine, femininity being able to break through all of the problems of 
the the patriarchy um i think is a great message and i think that the idea that they were going for with this whole love conquers all like i choose i choose love you know i i like that she says i choose love but i think that the scripting gets a little shoddy right around that point and it sucks because yeah you know it yeah. the script isn't perfect but i think the script was really well done up to that point and it feels kind of ham-fisted in there now i completely agree with you and like that every time she says that i cringe a bit because i'm just like man you had me in <laughs> this up until this point like i was okay like I could, I could, I could kind of go with Aries and his weird mustache and bulbousy nose, but like <laughs> that, 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 that line, I know. And like, <laughs> I, I really kind of wish they could have shown us like two different actors, like some, like you said, some really great, like physical little specimen in the beginning versus Zeus and like doing all that in the Greek mythology. Like he looks very much like a painting or very statuesque, which is very sort of of that time and of that art style. And then like, he CGI rips his face off or like it just morphs away when there's this big reveal. And then it's the first Ares we, we see could have been really cool. Well, I, I completely agree that a more passive villain would have worked. And I think you're absolutely right in that the idea really works really well and loving and caring and understanding are themes that, and are sort of ideas that Wonder Woman does represents wisdom, I think is something that really, really needs to show and, and highlights. Again, we go back to the original origin and her being a descendant of Athena kind of plays into that, which I think would have worked so much well because Athena versus Ares in Greek mythology is always a big thing. But I think it was handled poorly and I wish it cut. And like, I feel like also in the, like the second and first acts could have emphasized that a little bit more and could have done it a little bit better so that that line wouldn't have kind of come out of the blue because it does it yeah. it both it, feels like it fits but it doesn't feel like it fits at the same time because mm -hmm. it's just like I understand what you're saying but you're not saying it in the right way. Yeah. It 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 doesn't her delivery doesn't match up to the lines that she had given earlier in the film. And I think that definitely like it just misses the mark. But and we talked about it earlier. I really want to talk about just We've touched on it, the uh, the relationship between Steve and Diana. Instant chemistry between Chris Pine and Gal Gadot. In all of yeah. the things that we talked about last episode and how poorly the chemistry between Cara Delevingne and Chris's favorite actor, Joel Kinnaman, was. <laughs> this is the... Fucking Robocop. <laughs> this is the exact... It's the exact opposite because they bounce off each other so well. Uh, Chris Pine and his unstoppable charisma is able to just take everything that he has in stride. Um, when they talk about the, uh, the whole I was molded from clay and given life and his delivery of just... Well, that's neat. Just his <laughs> and all of his just like dumbfounded, like he doesn't know how to handle Diana in any any respect. Um, I just I love it. And I love how across the movie they're teaching each other. Uh, Steve Trevor's teaching Diana about the world and Diana is teaching Steve almost to be able to love again, to be able to trust again, to believe in hope again. Uh, Chris said like a big theme from this is hope. And I think that it's absolutely just right on the nail there um but their their chemistry together is so good the way that they just kind of push and pull each other throughout the entire film works really well and it doesn't feel like either of them is um is i guess more important than the other they 
balance each other out really well. And it's like neither one would be able to get to the conclusion of this film without the other. And I think that's really important in establishing their relationship and establishing how important they are for that, for this film and for their relationship. Um, I love, I, and I, I remember laughing out loud in the theater when this happened, when, um, when uh, the plane's going up, there's no way to stop it. And uh, Steve Trevor's just like, is it combustible? And he takes out his gun. And I was like, all right, Steve Rogers, you're downing a plane with chemical warfare. <laughs> I see you. But to be honest, you know, it in the film, in the context of the film, it works. And I think it works really well. I even really, I really love the, uh, the dual scene where like, um, Diana is like shell shocked and she can't hear anything. And like, he's like giving this like heartfelt, like, Oh my God, like you can save the world that I could save today. I love you. And Diana's just like, what, what do you say? I just, and I, I, I really like kind of the tragic aspect of it. And I almost kind of wish that it didn't reveal what he said, because I think that would have made it more tragic and it would have made it more sad. And she would kind of just have to go off of this memory of him and not knowing what he said to her. And I think that could have really been something that they could touch on later on. But overall, I love their relationship. How did you guys feel about the two of them, their chemistry, and uh, how they balanced each other out in the context of the narrative? I thought it was great. I, I love, uh, and I like. I mean, I'm just going to come out and say that uh, Chris Pine is is a, is a Hollywood leading man, right? He's got the good looks. Agreed. He's got he's he's got the the, the physicality of it, but he's Kirk in this. He's well, but also, but but in all these things, he's not. He there's an aloofness to him. There's an approachability to him. He's not Brad Pitt. He's you know it, it, he's more. And I think that's how people identify with him. I think he's kind of, even though he's a leading man, he's kind of an everyday leading man. If there is such a thing, I, I don't know. But he's he's but, um, he's a Peter Parker type. He's a classic like hmm. older Peter Parker type. I want to preface this not <laughs> not like high school Peter Parker, but he's like he's this guy that in the comics he's a very dashing. Peter Parker's a very dashing guy, but he's approachable. He's fun. He's you know he's a little smarmy yeah. at times. I think that's what worked so well with him playing a version of Peter Parker and in Into the Spider Verse because he just he has that charisma about him. <laughs> but he's also like well, you and, said, he's very approachable. And he ba- and and you nailed it. He balances her because she is the vignette that are well. He's kind of the how can I? Say? We follow it's her story, but through him, that's how our exposition is told and and how she sees it it's kind of how we see ourselves as the audience right so he, again i mentioned it before that we've become jaded to certain things and, and steve says or you know we can't save everybody and i think that's such a huge part of it no but we can try and as humans we should try and i think that that's such a big deal and i i love i can't their chemistry is so and i think the people at warner's didn't know that their chemistry to be that good at we talked absolutely about definitely you know there, there's no there's, there, no, there's way. no fucking way yeah because you know he's coming back but yeah. it's it's hard Somehow. for me to elaborate on, on anything that you said because you you really kind of nailed it and i think that that and he does help her i mean i want to go back to it gal gadot as far as her acting credits go she wasn't in a lot of things before she was tabbed as being wonder woman that's a big fucking responsibility that's a big deal right so she i i think with chris pine being kind of in the game since 2006 and her maybe just kind of having 
Yes, I know, Eric, you have an affinity for the Fast and Furious series. One of the <laughs> best franchises in movie history. <laughs> boy, so, boy. All right, that's a whole nother seven <laughs> that's episodes. A way, that's a whole new podcast. <laughs> Wait for that for our next series, diving into the Fast and Furious films. Yeah, right? So, like, she, she, yeah, she's she's done a couple of things, but she hasn't had, and again, this is my observation of it as she hasn't been able to kind of have some of the professional uh chops as maybe chris has done and and so i think he carries her in in a fair amount but that's said in a complimentary tone like like jerry rice carried joe montana right like pippen carried jordan sometimes that's just the give and take you get between a really good team and i think that for for those of you keeping score chris just hit uh reference bingo he got a sports reference in here (laughs) <laughs> you know there's no batman without robin oh there it is sorry. he brought it back he brought it back that's right that's more fitting to our to our to our audience but but i think that that's uh, that's that's part of it i think again it was lightning in a bottle i really do i think everything with this film um i do want to talk about some stuff that cameron said but i want andrew to go ahead and get his goal about how he thought the chemistry between chris pine and gal gadot uh, kind of went over in the film I thought it was great. And like everything you said is absolutely true. Uh, Chris Pine is just a delightful human being like and that's really kind of it. And like he's he's very charismatic. I remember like being dragged to uh, the Princess Diaries, too. And like my favorite aspect of that movie was Chris Pine. And because he (laughs) is just so Stanley cameo as well. Oh, Princess Diaries are in the MCU confirmed. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Um, But like, there's this thing about him that is very charismatic. And like, what I also really appreciated is that it it really kind of shows in that, all right, this, this movie is supposed to be for women. Like we can kind of say that, that it is meant to be for everybody, but this is essentially the Warner brothers going, all right, now it's time for the girls to have their turn. We've seen every guy, a superhero under the sun that we can make a movie off of. So now we're going to give the, this the very first, you know, female-led DC a superhero mo- movie, Catwoman, not a Catwoman, including. I will say, but there's something that's kind of nice in that in the male form, Chris Pratt isn't what we've been shoveled down to as to make men insecure. He doesn't have a six pack. He's not super jacked, but he's just really pretty and he's just really charming and he's just really nice. And that's just kind of great to see is that a delightful personality can overshine these things that are not traditionally like the bodybuilder or the super or the male supermodel old type and that he kind of more just in that average form. He work. It's clear that he's in good shape. Don't get me wrong. Wrong. He looks good uh, in that, you know, half naked scene, but it's not. Oh, he's fully naked in that scene. Oh, that's right. Yeah, that's yeah. right. That's right. <laughs> and I think we mean Chris, Chris Pine, too, not Chris Pratt. Sorry, Chris Pine. Just just to just follow. Because, but Chris Pratt also exudes better... that same that same quality. So no, and, you're, you're and right. We, and, and I know that Chris Pratt listens. So you're just you're a great guy. Thanks for listening to the podcast. You're wonderful. All Chris's are, bro. It's me, Chris Pratt, and Chris Pine. We, we drink on Wednesday. There's it's a Chris Club. Chris's. There's we drink Cristal. There's Chris <laughs> Evans, there's Chris Pine, there's Chris Pratt. Right. But Chris Pine 
Chris Pine has so much charisma. I actually have a theory about like in between late millennials and Gen Xers of how many Chris's there are, but that's a whole lot. <laughs> but he is, he is the underappreciated Chris, I think out of all of those groups. He really he is. is. He really is. There's, and I don't think there's anybody else who could have played Kirk as well as he did. He, I think oh, he plays Kirk yeah. better than uh, the, the name of the actor escapes me, but the original, Shatner. Oh, in my opinion. Shatner. Shatner. Really? Shatner. I do. I think I, I would say well, what that about like the they speech are... pattern. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I agree with you, Andrew. I think he's great at Kirk. I, I, I totally agree with you. I really enjoy his Kirk. I, I really do. The third movie was really good. Third movie yeah. is so yeah. freaking good. Third movie is such a good Star Trek movie. That's a whole other podcast. Yeah. In our next yeah. series. <laughs> <laughs> Keep down the street. The J.J. Abrams Star Trek movie. Um, but there's there's something approachable about Chris Pine in, there's, in this movie. And it's really interesting to see, like, like as you said, Chris, how there's this intensity that Gal Gadot is able to portray. And I think that is, again, from being the Israeli army, knowing Krav Maga, knowing how to throw a punch correctly, like, that she really brings this warrior energy to her. And then having this this guy who's full of charisma and who is just so approachable is able to really balance that out of just like, this is a great team. This is a, this is a great duo that I really want to see interact off each other or, and that it doesn't need to be a romance story. It, it's kind of just like, it's nice to see that their romance is not only well-deserved, but it's not the main thing that that's being shoveled down yeah. onto it. The romance feels like it's just a seasoning on top of the dish that is their time together. And so I I think it's a really great duo. And I think Chris Pine is just so well used. And I love that. Again, I just love that he's like he's just he's not blown up and he's not, you know, he's not. He doesn't look like he's full on steroids. He just looks like a guy and he's just really kind of shows more positive of male form. Like that's, I, I love this relationship. And I love Chris Pine in this movie. Well, and he actually, he yeah. made a funny comment about that because he, he was doing an interview and he said like when he got cast for Wonder Woman, he looked at the Marvel movies and he was like, Oh, I got to get ripped. I got to get shredded. So he like <laughs> did that whole regime for six months. He got absolutely jacked. And then they put him under three layers of clothing. And he was like, I just did all this for nothing. <laughs> because he has so many heavy layers because that's how they were dressed at that time. And I just think that's hilarious. And I love that story. But I know that, but I know that uh, Chris wanted to get to, since he's now our, our hot goss uh, corner, oh. gossip corner with Chris Carter. Um, we saw that, you know, as we've talked about, the film is fantastic, but it's not perfect. There are definitely some flaws with the film. And one of the biggest detractors to the film was a, a little known director named James Cameron. Chris, can you tell us more about that? Who the that? fuck is that? I know, I've yeah. never heard of him before. Uh, he got famous I, off of Piranha you know, 2. <laughs> He was fired off Piranha 2, so how good can this hack be? <laughs> Just kidding, James. We are all huge fans, and if you ever need actors or writers or directors, we'll be there. Just with with bells. Um, so, yeah. So, one of the things he made a comment about, um, and, and this was during his time when he was uh, kind of doing press for the re-release of Terminator 2, was that... Uh, that Hollywood, and I'm going to paraphrase this, but it's on it's on Variety site, and it was across a shit ton of news outlets. So he was saying that Hollywood was doing too much back padding, and that I think the female form in this 
um, was basically a step backwards, not because of the character attributes, but the fact that it was a beautiful woman. Um, he had made a comment saying uh, his own character, because I mean, Cameron has, does have strong female characters. Uh, Rose in Titanic. Um, I can't think of the girl in Avatar. Wait a uh, second. Wait Zoe. a second. Rose is the first one you go to when you have uh, Ripley well, and you have Sarah uh, Connor. I'm Rose kidding. I was gonna, is the I was, first. That was my crescendo. You fucked up my crescendo. <laughs> <laughs> so Rose, but Ripley will always be my, my girl. I'll say that. But so and, uh, there's a little piece of uh, of trivia in Sorry, this whole thing. Sorry, your crescendo. Go back where, to crescendo. Um, Zoe Saldana is the only, I think, actor who's been in like two one billion dollar grossing films or something like that. But mm -hmm. which is great. Uh, but so, so Cameron's had strong female leads and, and strong female characters and a lot of stuff that he does. But him taking the stance, um, I, I, I think he said it. I'm gonna say he said it really fucking wrong, and I think maybe he was a little jaded at this point. Mm -hmm. um, because let's be honest, I mean. In this film, uh, Gal Gadot, and again, I, I have spoken. I, I don't. I don't think she's a bad actress. I just don't think that she's as accomplished as people maybe think that she is. I, I, I don't know. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So, so. Well, and I think it's it's so it's, for, it's, it's no secret that this movie made her career, and that she really didn't have like acting chops to speak of prior to this. But I think like yeah, James Cameron basically saying like this film is a step backwards for female-led films. I think it's just it's it's incorrect. I can see what he was doing by making the comparisons to like a Sarah Connor and basically saying like you know Sarah Connor was never objectified, which a lot of people objectify a Wonder Woman. It's just it's built into a lot of the way that she is depicted and has been depicted from the very beginning. But saying that comparatively i think there is sure. a world i think there is a seat at the table for ripley for sarah connor and for wonder woman and that it doesn't they don't diminish each other as characters and, that, I, and that's the important thing i'm sorry i'm sorry go ahead go ahead i cut you off I'm no sorry. i was just gonna say i completely agree i mean i understand where he's coming from but i think the mm -hmm. same thing can be said with male characters too in that we don't sure. in that the, the biggest thing about the 80s and you know where cameron is god basically is that you know the average joe hero is very apparent in the in the 80s like there's a lot of you know heroes where like you know they're it's sylvester stallone and uh, arnold schwarzenegger or you know they're ex ex military people but at the same time there's a lot of stories where it's just a lot of guys who get a gun for the first time and then go off on this big epic so i understand that point he's trying to make but the fact of the matter is, is that Wonder Woman is supposed to be a little bit more than the average person. She's supposed to be a, the next level and the ne next uh, strain up from that. I think that like kind of comparing her to Sarah Connor, where, you know, the most of the time in those movies, she's or at least the very first one, I should say, she's kind of the victim running away from the monster. And then to revamp her in the second one, one as this badass gun toting uh, warrior really works and it really uh, goes in between I mean, this sort of great character progression but I think that he's just so misguided and he's and he said it so poorly really, because Wonder Woman is supposed to be this next level of a person and like as Eric said in her origin there is kind of this um, fetish, fetishization 
But that goes back to the very uh, creator. Uh, the, the creator was a bondage enthusiast. And so he wanted Wonder Woman. And almost like you can see those original 1940s covers, her being tied up. But a lot of the time was her breaking the chains. And it was her her breaking the ropes. And it was her getting out of these bond and getting out of the this to show that she is powerful enough to do that and to break the patriotic binds that women have on on them during that time. That's also uh, an, a feminist image is of breaking out chain and of getting out of out of that. So I think that like he's he, like yeah, those comments are just really misguided and really really kind of miss the mark in that his idea is there, but that kind of talks about movies in general. Well. When in this movie, it is supposed to be about an extraordinary person doing extraordinary things. Right. And I think that's part part of what that is, is Cameron's not understanding her origin. I mean, you had mentioned she is what she's she was created by the gods. Right. So there should be some type of form factor involved with that. I mean, I can I think what the what the three of us are saying, too, is that, yeah, you, you have a you went about saying your point wrong and maybe you, you know, I think having Ripley, having Diana, having uh, and, and let's be honest, uh, Cameron had Jamie Lee Curtis in True Lies, who basically performed a strip tease and ran around the film um, in her underwear and bra. So it's not like he's you know he's not a guilty party in this whole objectifying and beautifying the woman. But I liked what you said about how the male the male hero gets the same kind of. I guess preconceived notion of what a male hero should look like. And because Chris Pine doesn't meet that, I think that's why we, we talked about him being approachable, but let's talk about like Chris Hemsworth. I mean, you know, if, and, and he, the guy is, just, is, is massive. I mean, and, and I like Hemsworth as an actor, but I think when you put, if he's the hero, right? If he's a, if he's the hero, he's a bigger looking, he's just a bigger guy and he's a good looking dude. He, he, he uh, absolutely and he's go he's gorgeous like he's six foot right. five and like you know he's worked out to get four level and he did it like he accomplished it i have no idea how but he accomplished it and like that sort of male male view of just like oh you have to be like this and you have to be this statuesque and you have to be this next level of male beauty is the same thing that goes into movies nowadays it's like i don't think that any movie or any depiction of a hero gets a pass for what he's trying to say. Hey, but the fact that he kind of puts it on women is just unfair. And it's really just doesn't, it, it, it's just poor or wording. And it's just like, I see the idea, but like putting it all on women and characters and on women heroes just really is not good and is really not okay. Agreed. And I think it's, you know, and in recent years, cause like we've, we've talked about it before, um, you know, the the differing sides, communication can always get really muddled. But James Cameron has never apologized about it. And he is in he is doubled down, if anything, on it. And <laughs> <laughs> and both uh, Patty Jenkins and Wonder I just I just called her Wonder Woman because that's who she is. Um, but Patty Jenkins and Gal Gadot have talked about like, you know what? Sit down, James. Like we get it. But it's yeah. it's you know, it. Again, like both of you have said, like I can see both sides to it. I can see where he's coming from, and I can see where she's coming from. But it's just, again, I don't think you have to tear down one to raise up another. 
And wonderful point. Well put. And I think that it's, you know, there's room at the table for everybody. But you know what? There's also room at the table for 27 awards. And that's how many awards that (laughs) Wonder Woman won, making it the new title holder for most awards in the DCEU. Formerly held by last week's episode, which was nine awards for Suicide Squad. Unfortunately, no Oscars for Wonder Woman. However, I'm just going to run through a quick highlight. There's four awards that I want to kind of shout out. But 27 awards is not, it's nothing to sneeze at for sure. So um, Wonder Woman won uh, the SAG Award for Outstanding, Outstanding Performance by a Stunt Ensemble, which I think is fantastic. That is a category that still needs to make its way to the Oscars and still hasn't, but hopefully soon. Yeah, that's what I thought, too. And I was like, damn, yeah. Wonder Woman, you getting the SAG Award? Hell yeah. Uh, they also, uh, <laughs> the film won the Saturn Award for Best Actress for Gal Gadot. Saturn Awards are for um, genre films, basically science fiction, fantasy, comics, all that. Uh, Chris likes to talk about in every episode the Rotten Tomato scores, which we will absolutely get to. Uh, they also have awards, and they are the Golden Tomatoes. Oh. What? Yeah, really? I didn't know this either. I didn't know I, this wow. either. But like, I guess in uh, I think it said twenty. It's either twenty twelve or two thousand seven, and I recognize that's a big disparity. But it's for some reason those years go out. You know, stick out in my mind. But yeah, th- so they have awards every single year, and Wonder Woman actually won the Golden Tomato Award for Best Comic Slash Graphic Novel Movie in twenty seventeen. I want to hey. just. I want to tell you the films it was up against, okay, that year, because this was fucking wild to me. Um, it, for that award, it beat out the likes of Spider-Man Homecoming, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, Thor Ragnarok, and Logan. Uh, what a stacked year 2017 was for comic book films. Holy shit. Yeah. I did not think about that. What amazing, like, different narratives all those all of these movies had yeah. in that year. Yeah. Like, for comic book movies especially, those movies are not similar to each other. At, I mean, maybe between, like, the two Marvel, between Ragnarok and Spider-Man Homecoming, there's a lot of similarities, just sort of tonally. But, like, narratively, all very different from each other. Yeah, and I just... Man, 2017 was a different time. 2017 hits different now. <laughs> it does. <laughs> it, but yeah, we could have the, gone to the movie theater now. I know, then. right? And we did yeah. for all of those movies. We did. But finally, the one I do <laughs> want to mention as well, um, it made the list for the AFI Top 10 Films of the Year for 2017. Wow. And AFI, the American Film Institute, very prestigious. They do a yes, Top yeah. 10 Films of the Year every single year. And it was on the list for Top 10 Films along film, alongside films like Lady Bird, Dunkirk, Get Out, and The Big Sick. Also, all very different films. Also, shout out to Lady Bird, because one of us in this conversation is actually in that movie. Oh, which one is that? Oh, which one? I don't know. (laughs) I really don't know. (laughs) Um, For those of you who don't know, Lady Bird was the very first uh, film I got to work on in Los Angeles. But that's not important. The important thing is... Wonder Woman (laughs) was very well received just across the board. Flaws and all. You know, it is 
again, like we said, not a flawless film, and it definitely has, you know, its peaks and valleys. It definitely drops off in that third act. But I think for what they accomplished, for them being able to say this is the first mainstream female-led comic book film to really just break the glass ceiling. Uh, This film would later be followed up by Captain Marvel, who was just a couple years off. Um, I think it's fantastic, and I think as an accolade for it to have Wonder Woman as a character is absolutely deserving of that honor. Uh, I think, honestly, you know, as because we've talked about this before, we kind of established in the first episode of the series that um, Andrew brings a very spiritual as well as a very, um, uh, what's it called, um, philosophical, but also um, socially responsible perspective to everything, looking at things from that perspective. Chris, very pragmatic, very logical, and he comes to this with the numbers, with the film expertise, with all the stuff that... Me and Andrew couldn't dream of having the expertise on. And then I come to it from a very um, emotional place, a very um, passionate place. These comic book films and these kid things mean a whole hell of a lot to me. So as someone who came to it from that perspective, I really appreciated it. And I really liked that this film was a statement as much as films that would join the comic book genre like a Logan, like a Black Panther, really kind of put their stamp on the genre as it were. But among all of the accolades alongside these awards, alongside I think it was uh, it was pretty well received across the board, you know, flaws and all, uh, we got to talk about numbers. We got to talk numbers. about ratings. We got to talk about budgets, which brings us to... Chris's number corner title pending. <laughs> I feel like I need a jingle. I feel like I need a jingle or like, and the banker da, da, says da, da, this. Da, 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 da. What is that? What is that? Thi- that's not. It's that's McDonald's. a real thing. Oh shit! <laughs> Chris's numbers. I will take French fries, thank you. Like, yeah. For now, All that's right. what it's gonna be. It's, it's gonna be da, da 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 Chris's numbers. Right. So so the numbers just. All right, right now. So Wonder Woman, their initial budget was 149 million, which is the by far and away the cheapest budget of the four films that we've talked about That's so really far. That's really interesting. Right, Man vs. Steel was 225, BVS 250. <laughs> Man vs. <versus> Steel. <laughs> That's a good point. Man loses. <laughs> <laughs> James oh my Cameron. God. See, he found a way to come back in. And James... Wonder Woman gets killed because it's James Cameron directing. Right. We're in for it, James. But but so yeah, so so Man of Steel was 225, BVS is 250, Suicide was 175, and Wonder Woman was 149. So that's hilarious cuz with... Suicide Squad feels like such a cheaper movie than this. Yeah. Well, we talked about it when we uh, when we just when we compared the budget for Civil War and for Batman versus Superman. And Civil That's War's right. budget was much cheaper, and I think that goes to having a very competent director in a solid story, right? Because we've mm-hmm. talked about the previous three have been just not good stories from the top down. Um, opening weekend, it didn't eclipse its budget, but it made one hundred three, which is 
very respectable because at that point, the rule of thumb is whatever you open at, you can expect a 50% drop off the following weekend. So mm-hmm. if that were true, then they would go ahead and make up their budget, which in the U.S. Within they made 412 and worldwide uh, it made 821, nice. which is interesting because it That's still great. did not make as much as BVS. Mm-hmm. So when you when you, when you factor in the fact that although BVS did cost a hundred million dollars more, it only made fifty million dollars more in profit. So really, if if you're number crunching, which in this case we are, it you know it was the juice wasn't worth the squeeze in that point. So Wonder right. Woman was coming up aces on, on all that. And as far as uh, as far as critical acclaim, you touched on all the awards. The Golden Tomato, uh, 92% for, for, so, yeah, that's rightly uh, deserved. And 88 audience. So everybody loved it. Everybody that went mm-hmm. to see it loved it. Uh, Metacritic, uh, before we go on, just as a recap, Suicide Squad was 26, <laughs> BVS was 27, and Man of Steel <laughs> was 55. <laughs> so this is by far and away the best it's just that simpsons meme of like pathetic yeah exactly (laughs) exactly and then as metacritic goes it's a 76 out of 100 and again just to reiterate suicide was 40 bvs was 44 and man of steel was 55 so across the board viewers uh uh, reviewers viewers critical acclaim it was it was all there for for patty jenkins's wonder woman so yeah Definitely. And I think just like you said, like it's, it's not about it costing more to make. It's about what they do with it. Like you made that point with the civil war comparison, like this movie costs less to make than suicide squad, but it looks way better just on a technical aspect. And the film overall is just a great film to watch. It's a film that I can actually like, that I was excited to go back and watch for this series. Like I like I, and I have I have made it very clear. I am a man of steel apologist. Their film that film I think <laughs> gets a lot of crap that though rightly deserved, I think there's definitely um redeeming qualities about it. But this was the first film that I was excited to watch again. I was like, fuck yeah, I get to watch Wonder Woman. I'm really excited yeah. about this. And as we go along, that might happen more often. We'll see. We're continuing on with this. Um, but wrapping up here, uh, Andrew, do you have any final thoughts on the film? And what would you give your personal rating for it? Um, you know, I say this again, besides that bit of origin, besides the wishful thinking on like what could have been, in my opinion, would have been more of a strong female and feminist uh, character. The movie's fine. The movie's fun. The movie's a good time. Uh, the, the third act really kind of, I loved how earlier you kind of made a sort of sports analogy in that it fumbles the ball. And like, it does feel to me like it could have been a touchdown, but that third act really just almost gets up to the line and doesn't cross it. So I would give it probably like, I'd give it a solid seven out of 10 or on a different day, maybe even an eight. But like that to me, that's where it is. And that, that and that's just my personal feelings. For sure. Chris. Yeah. Yeah, that those those are those are good points. I think 
I first of all, I agree with his rating. So spoiler alert, I, I think seven out of ten, eight on a, on a day where I'm feeling really charged about that uh, that story. Um, <laughs> it's not perfect. I think we we've we really spoken glowingly about it, and I don't think mm-hmm. that you know we've lingered on some of the really bad parts of the previous three films we've talked about. You know, uh, but this 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 film. I think we've kind of passed over some of those things we've given in the past, but again, rightfully so. It's in no way a bad movie. It's the best out of all the, you know, the three previous movies that we've talked about. It is by head and shoulders so much better than those, but there are deficiencies. I didn't get a chance to mention the third act, but I absolutely agree with what you guys are saying. Yeah, please, the please decent, do. Please talk about it. Well, no, no, I, I'm just, I, I can't, you guys have really kind of nailed it. I, for whatever reason, DC does not, have a really fitting boss battle in gamer terms. We yeah, don't have time. a really yeah. one that land. No, we don't, right? So I think maybe maybe Man of Steel would probably be my argument that it was maybe the best one. But you know, I, I that it really suffers the big bad suffers for me in Wonder Woman. I don't I don't like it. I think that it could have gone a bunch of different ways. But again, we're dealing with a budget that was $100 million less than BBS and Man of Steel. So I think that we have to kind of, at least me, kind of curb our expectations. It didn't land. The last battle, the last battle wasn't great for me. I also feel that, you know, while praise is definitely deserving for Patty Jenkins and for Gal Gadot and for Chris Pine and for, you know, all, all the executives involved with it, it's just, I don't like to give something because this is directed by a female, starring a female, it's it's it doesn't get a pass for that. There's this line in Entourage, which Patty Jenkins uh, directed a few episodes, where Ari says, "There are no excuses. Either you win or you lose." And Ari Scorbert is reading fucked, but whatever. It's it's true in Hollywood. <laughs> you know, it's like either either it's good or it's not. It doesn't matter if I directed it, if you guys directed it, if a female directed it, and if it's starring. Oh, it would have been bad know. if I directed it. Let's just. Who, I'm going to make that statement. That? I'm going to make that statement. Imagine, imagine what you could have done with $150 million, though. You could have hired a pretty good uh, AD. But but so I, I still think it's I think it's a really good film. I think that it deserves all the awards and accolades and all the praises it gets. And, and in the end, I think that it, for me, it does not – having a female director and a, and a female-led, I guess, first-time superhero film – that doesn't that doesn't mean we're going to give it a handicap of four. It's still really good. It's really good, and with all that stuff. So, again, a solid seven, maybe an eight. I think that the third act really kind of falls off. And and Andrew, you said it best, and I, and I didn't get a chance to agree with you on this, but I wanted to. It feels like three movies. It feels like when she's on the that's island, fair. it's one. When and the second act is by far and away the best act. And I think that's because that we have the dynamic of Chris Pine and Gal Gadot in that learning curve where she is kind of, you know, learning how the real world is, and, and at the same time she's kind of bringing them back to maybe being hopeful. But um, but overall I enjoyed it. it for me, is I, I you know it's funny. I will say that I still think, and this is going to be a very unpopular opinion, that Man of Here Steel is the best film in the DCEU. I think that Wonder Woman. Feels a lot like a Marvel film. I feel like there's a, it's got a lot going for it, but Man of Steel, for me, for what the DC wanted to do, at least from what I've heard they wanted to do, Man of Steel fits better than Wonder Woman does. And, and again, I, I just I still think that 
I think that Man of Steel might be a little bit better of a movie than Wonder Woman. And that was our latest segment of ba 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 Chris's Hot Takes. <laughs> hey, let me ask you guys. Hey, hey. So real quick before we get your final thoughts, Eric. Is Harley Quinn a more interesting character in the DCEU now? Not as overall. Now, you know, is she a more interesting character than Wonder Woman? I'm going to follow up your question with another question. Are we basing it just off of their points right at this point in the franchise? Yes. Are we basing it just off of Suicide Squad and Wonder Woman? So, and Birds of Prey. So, at this well, point... Well, that's what I was asking. Gonna... Are we basing it, like, completely or yeah. just for those films? So, okay. is it... So, Gal Gadot gets a lot of praise. And, Mar- and Margot Robbie does, too. But but she doesn't get a lot of praise as Harley. Do you feel that... I think she does. You know, well, but, I think she does get so, a lot of praise, personally. So... Is Bird so then uh, to counter that, I would say Wonder Woman 1984 is getting is being a bigger deal or is getting a bigger deal made out of it than Birds of Prey is though, right? Would you say that's true? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Why would why would that be true though? Because I think if, it's no oh, go ahead. No, no, no. I was gonna say uh, just why would that be true? Because if Wonder Woman, if if Marg, you know, if, if Harley, the IP of that. Is and, and and where they've taken that in her story in the DCEU now just on for on film, mm-hmm. why would you know? I mean, why didn't that get more if if we feel that that character or that actress is more interesting? I think for me, in my personal opinion, um, the reason that is is because just the hallmark uh, status of the Wonder Woman character, uh, having Harley Quinn as part of the Birds of Prey film. It's like, um, it's basically saying, like, why did uh, Deadpool 2 make less than Captain America Winter Soldier? Because the comparison of the two, I think, is very similar with how they are treated within their own universes. Um, Captain America is a hallmark character of the Marvel Universe. Deadpool, while having this massive cult following, I would say undeservedly so. But that's a different podcast in our (laughs) next segment. Um, But... I think it's I think it's a uh, comparable analogy with Wonder Woman being this household name, being this um, ode to female empowerment, to feminism, all of those things that Wonder Woman has always really represented. With Harley Quinn, not only is she a newer character, having been created in the early '90s, much younger as a character than Wonder Woman, um, she just doesn't have the kind of household appeal that a Wonder Woman would have regardless of who's playing her, what they're doing with her narrative. Um, but I, I don't think that should take away from either of them. I think they're both sure, marketable. I think they're both um, incredibly uh, valuable to not just their IPs, but to the DC brand as a whole. Um, for me, I still, I mean, I'm going to lean towards what I lean towards. I think that Wonder Woman I'm more invested in just because I just that's how I am. I'm still very invested in Harley Quinn. I loved, I don't want to spoil it, but I loved Birds of Prey. So I think that the two can stand together without detracting from each other. How do you feel about that, Andrew? I completely agree. I think there is this sort of uh, mainstream appeal that comes with Wonder Woman, deservedly so. It's been, you know, a 70 to 80 year process of waiting for this movie to get made that never got (laughs) it. Just this sequel. Just this sequel. It's coming. Yeah, exactly. Your process. Exactly. (laughs) It feels like it. 
I mean, we had the Linda Carter stuff, but like it never really felt like. Yeah, like as you said too, like you look at the Birds of Prey, and that's a relatively newer comic compared to Wonder Woman, who's been around just as long as these icons have. Mm-hmm. And there's something about the marketability of just like I feel like. Uh, Birds of Prey kind of came at a poor time where like, Absolutely. you know, we had the female Ghostbusters, we had yeah. uh, Charlie's Angels that are really tried to do something, but really, really kind of put a bad taste of female led super. I loved Birds of Prey and spoilers. That's my favorite DCEU movie. Dang! Spoilers! Spoilers! We haven't gotten that far. <laughs> <laughs> but like I'll say it right now, that's my favorite one out of out of all of them. I love that movie. I love what they do in it. I love everything that is. And it's kind of interesting of how like specifically like these two characters, Harley Quinn and Wonder Woman, are kind of different ends of you know female-led stories, and that you have one woman looking for retribution, not only in the outside but in the inside and interiorly, and but then you have this strong, powerful icon that is kind of the exact opposite and that there is no redemption that is needed from her because she is just so great in that what she does and that being Wonder Woman and I think there's two different kinds of stories that kind of come from that and we want to look at the big marvels and we want to look at the the gods among us to look in and try to emulate and try to bring ourselves to that level but then we have that relatability in the ones that are seeking redemption and the ones who are looking to get ourselves and not be our mistakes and not be the things that have fucked us up so i think it's two different kinds of movies and two different kind of characters and i think both have their place but i would say that i think that wonder woman just in her history and what can be done with her her just is a little bit better or in my opinion nice Cool. Yeah. And I think that, I mean, overall, like, Chris, how do you feel about that? Because I know that, again, you're coming from a different perspective than us. Um, I know that you said you are, I think you mentioned that you're very invested in Margot Robbie as Harley Quinn when it comes to the span of these movies. Was there, is there a reason that you don't feel as invested in Wonder Woman as a character as you would with her? No, that's a good question. Um, No, topically, look, there's something and again this is just my opinion more interesting about a damaged character i think that mm-hmm. um, we watched the watchman series which by the way cleaned up today at the emmys cleaned up nom- at the emmy nominations, nominations. more yeah, than super any happy other any other uh project that's nominated incredible yeah, super happy about that it totally deserves it. absolutely it's, it's a wonderful wonderful series um how all of the characters in Watchmen are damaged somehow, right? They're and, 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 and they're looking for something, whether it be inside themselves or externally. And I think that I just that story is more interesting to me. And I feel like Harley kind of and, and Andrew, you nailed it. She kind of represents that. You know, it's not all goodness because that's not who we are as people. It's hard to identify with that. You know, we were more identifying with, wow, that was terrible. But how do you mitigate the terribleness? How do you marginalize it so that way you can continue to live? Um, and, and at the same time, despite doing terrible things, you can move on. And I think that the stories of the antiheroes, and, and I'm not a huge Deadpool fan. It's funny. I would love to hear your thoughts on, on, on that on that rant you had just a moment ago. because In our they, next series. <laughs> <laughs> but... But to me, like that type of broken hero um, is the more interesting story. So that's kind of why I feel like that 
I'm 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 very interested in seeing what they do with it. And I hope again speaking about that character in that property that they bring on a strong director that can really flesh out Harley's story. I think that would be very interesting because I'm excited to see 1984 whenever it comes out at this point. But in 2084. Yeah, it's it's like it's <laughs> market calendars. Know, yeah. <laughs> but to me I I'm to me, it's like I'm just not as interested in the character of Wonder Woman as I am is in, you know in the character of uh, of Harley, and that's totally just cinematically. Yeah. I I didn't know she was created in the '90s. I thought she was much older than that. So that's yeah, she was she was actually she was created for the animated series, the Batman animated no series. No way. Yeah, dude. Really? She and she was just supposed I to be a one-off character, one, a one-off side character, and she just caught fire. And it's like it's been just a fucking roller coaster for ever since. But um, as a quick wrap up for this, my final thoughts, the film is fantastic. It is absolutely flawed. It definitely does have too many ideas going on at once. I think the reason that act two is the strongest is because it's the most focused of the three acts. It's just trying to tell the story of Diana and man's world during a war. And I think that's absolutely a story that on its own could have carried the entire narrative. Um, I am, I'm very often, criticized especially by chris for being too positive on things especially when it's something close to my heart something that i care about um but i try to set that aside for things for discussions like this because i do try to come at things with a critical uh eye as well as a passionate one and i can't ignore the flaws that are inherently in the film the script could have been a lot better they fumbled the ball and missed their shot at making a three-pointer um, <laughs> or uh, and got put in the penalty box and in the third act. Uh, <laughs> sports ball! Um, and I, I think that they definitely made some missteps when it comes to that, when it comes to trying to fit so much into a film. But, I mean, in that same respect, I do kind of think, like, this was their one shot at it. And if they were going to get one shot at it, they were going to stick as many shit as they they could. (laughs) But now, you know, with hindsight being 2020, and I fucking hate that phrase now. Like, with how terrible this year has been, hindsight being 2020 (laughs) is now just... It hurts me inside to say it. But, um, But it's true. With hindsight, like... They definitely did make a film that has a lot of flaws, but was carried a lot by the fact that this was the first one we could all be excited about. And so in that respect, in that realm, I do, I agree with you guys, but I would be a little bit more forgiving for it. And I would say it is an eight out of 10 for me. Um, I think that it's, like I said, it's definitely not a perfect film. It's the best film we've reviewed so far. And I'm fingers crossed can't wait for the uh, inevitable drop and then rise once again when we come back into the uh, into the following films. But that is going to wrap up this installment of our Geeksplain Extra series. Tune in next week where we will be checking in with the next chapter of our journey into the Snyderverse. But for now, for Geeksplain, this is Eric Azana. This is Andrew Kincaid. And Chris Carter. And we will see you next time.